Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Susan Bailey. She is an allergist and an immunologist from Fort Worth, Texas. But importantly, Dr. Bailey is the 175th president of the American Medical Association. As she finishes out her last year of leadership with the AMA, Dr. Bailey is going to reflect on what has been a lifelong passion in terms of organized medicine, contributing to the profession, and what it means to be a leader at the pinnacle of medicine in her role at the AMA. Dr. Bailey, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Thanks for inviting me, Laurie. Well, great. Well, let's let's get started. So Dr. Bailey, you have such a long career, but what are you doing right now as you close out what has been an exceptional time of leadership for the AMA? Well, Laurie, to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. I, um, <laughs> I As I finish my uh, leadership in organized medicine, because I've been involved for over 40 years, um, I'm at, and I'm still in private practice. I'm in the same practice I've been in since 1988, uh, but I've reduced it down to uh, two days a week seeing patients. And so right now I'm kind of at a crossroads is, is, do I retire? Do I take up something new? Do I just continue in my practice? I thought it would be more obvious to me and more evident um, when I got to this point, but uh, I, it's not quite there yet, but um, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's a new adventure for me. Well, I find it so interesting. So for, you know, women at the height of their leadership can still be reflecting on what's next. And it always seems like there is something next, but maybe just a little bit of background. I mean, so many people know your story. You've been such an advocate for organized medicine. And obviously that has been so important to you in terms of what you've done over your career. Give us a little bit of the history reel. How did you get into organized medicine specifically after becoming a physician? Well, uh, even further than that, I've always been a joiner. I have always obviously been an extrovert. I get energy from being around other people. And maybe it was being from a small family with just one sister. I don't know, but I have always flocked to groups. I've always, I joined clubs. I loved leadership positions. When I got to college at Texas A&M University, I was active in student government and, and other types of organizations. And when I got to medical school, I heard a presentation from the chair of the medical student section of the Texas Medical Association. And I thought, wow, you know, these people are so involved. They're making a difference. You know, this is where I want to be. And from day one, I have firmly believed that we can taking care of your patients means more than what happens in that immediate patient physician relationship. It happens in 
state houses of you know state legislatures. It happens in Washington, D.C. It happens in insurance company boardrooms. It happens in city council meetings. And being involved in advocacy, I have always felt has been a professional obligation. It is, it fills out the total picture of really taking care of your patients. And so I've been in, I felt that the AMA has always been the organization for me that um, makes the biggest difference in the lives of physicians and the lives of our patients. Well, I'd love to hear, you know, over the many years of service, you know, as a physician caring for patients, but as an advocate for physicians in the profession of medicine and for patients, what are, as you reflect back, what are some of the proudest moments of things that um, were done with your participation and leadership? I um, was very proud. Uh, I was at a brand new medical school. I was in the charter class of the Texas A&M College of Medicine. And uh, to have, you know, been in a brand new medical school and then become chair of the Texas Medical Association student section, the AMA student section, um, and becoming a leader very early on in my career from a brand new medical school. Uh, I was incredible. I was proud of A&M, but I you know, also took some personal pride in being able to do those things. Uh, but really... I think one of the things, it was not fun at all, but I think I'm most proud of is being able to have a successful practice, be active in organized medicine, and be a single mom. I raised two sons. Well, you never do it on your own. It definitely takes a village. But being able to do all that, you can't do it all at the same time, but um, you can do it all. And I'm, I'm proud now to have two uh, adult sons who were successful, kind, you know, generous men, and um, that somehow I only dropped a few plates when they were spinning on those poles, like in the Ed Sullivan show. Well, how did you do it all? I mean, you know, during um, those times, during those times as a woman leader in medicine, yeah, as a single mom at, you know, a practice still, you know, participating in the role of advocacy and participating in organized medicine, how did you balance? How, you know, what was your secret? I think that, you know, today we're hearing so many stories of burnout of physicians, you know, and just, you know, coming out of the pandemic, the further crises of mental health and other things. Back then, um, what was the secret that you either learned or had or um, got your energy from someone else? Give us some of those secrets. I think the most important factor um, is that I had flexibility built into my practice setting. Number one, the choice of a specialty in allergy and immunology um, leaves yourself um, some flexibility. I didn't have to be in the OR at six o'clock every morning. I didn't have to, you know, be on call, you know, 24 hours a day. I was in a practice where uh, it was an expense sharing practice as opposed to a um, um, an income sharing practice. And so my partners were much less concerned about what I did um, as long as I paid my fair share of the bills and took my fair share of the call, which as an allergist, to be honest, is not real cumbersome. So I was able to be in, in control of my schedule and having a whole, you know, 
all working parents um, have discovered that you've got to, for your kids, you've got to have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. Um, And for me, my plan A was having a full-time housekeeper uh, or live-in nanny sometimes. Um, Plan B was that my parents lived in town so they were able to help out, although I, I tried not to, to burden them too much with that. You know, plan C is that I had enough personnel in my office that if um, I really could not get away, uh, I could send one of them to go pick up one of the kids at school or something like that. And then plan D was to just bring the kids to work with me. So they kind of, you know, became a part of uh, kind of a part of the practice family. And we created a patchwork of <laughs> of backup plans that uh, seemed to work pretty well. And when I went to meetings, I would um, very often bring the boys with me. I would uh, have one of my medical assistants. I would pay her way. We would share a room. We'd have a connecting hotel room with the boys and um you know, and she would get to go see whatever cool place we were in uh, and maybe get some uh, continuing education herself, depending on the meeting. And I would have the, the freedom to go to my meeting to fulfill my obligations without, you know, being worried about how the kids were doing. Well, Dr. Bailey, I have not heard that story um, from you before, and that, I have to say, is so impressive. I mean, we um, hear so much about mothers trying to balance the, you know, competing priorities of family obligations, whether they have help or not, you know, and, you know, the work balance as they try to aspire in their own um, career journeys, that you brought that all together without division is just incredible to hear. Uh, very, very inspiring. I want to talk about um, your your pinnacle year um, at the AMA as president during the time of the pandemic. And I have heard you talk about being the right woman at the right time for this job where, you know, at the height of the pandemic, this was also the height of misinformation, a lot of confusion, and also not the same type of presidency that most of the 175 presidents before you um, have had being out on the road. You were bound um, to the home. So just tell us what the um, what that looked like, what, again, you are most proud of during that incredible year um, where you, the voice of science, the voice of trust was your voice. Oh, boy. Um, you know, I thought about writing a book, I, I'm, but I'm not quite sure I'm ready to relive the whole thing. Um, the job of the AMA president is to be the spokesperson for the organization, to um, go out and talk to physicians, patient groups, legislators, regulators, uh, the business community uh, about the mission of the AMA to promote the art and science of medicine and the betterment of public health, to advocate for specific AMA policies that have been passed by our very democratic House of Delegates composed of physicians from all over the country and every specialty. And the I've had AMA presidents before me tell me they were on the road 300 days of their year. 
and all over the world representing the AMA at the World Medical Association and other national medical associations, as well as trying to visit as many small county medical societies across the country as they could. And I took office in June of 2020. Um, I didn't have the big fancy black tie gala um, installation that other presidents have had because it was at the very beginning of the pandemic when we were still trying to figure out Zoom calls. My inauguration was on videotape and I watched myself get inaugurated on my laptop on my kitchen table um, and did not take a single flight, did not travel anywhere while I was AMA president. Um, so <clears throat> as a result, the AMA and I and you know leaders across the country learned how to uh, communicate our message virtually, whether it was, you know, in writing, but, you know, very quickly, we all discovered the power of podcasts like this, of, of live webinars, of recorded um, speeches that, you know, were then sent out and played over and over again. And we were able to pivot very quickly because we had to. Necessity is the mother of invention. And you notice that phrase isn't necessity is the father of invention. I love that. <laughs> um, and be able to have a much greater, broader reach because we weren't bound by uh, the restrictions of being live uh, and in person. Um, so it, it makes you realize what a, a time suck travel really is. But uh, so instead of being lucky to get two events in a day, it was not unusual for me to be able to do it four events in a day and still see patients on telemedicine for a few hours a day and like to do something early in the morning. Um, maybe see some patients in the morning through telemedicine. I actually ended up seeing more patients during my presidency than I thought I would be because of telemedicine. So that was a real godsend. Um, maybe a lunchtime lecture to somebody, maybe some media interviews in the afternoon, and then a, a, a talk to uh, a group of physicians in the evening. Uh, that It was exhausting, but it was very doable. Well, resiliency and being open to significant change, but still the responsibility of leadership. And again, that voice of trust, that voice of science, that voice of leadership in terms of sorting through what were incredibly complicated times um, during the pandemic. Maybe just to, you know, it's interesting to hear you, Dr. Bailey, talk about sort of, you know, your career and what you've done. And what I don't hear you saying is um, talking about the breaking of boundaries. I mean, as an AMA president, your 175 years of this association, your um, female president number six, I believe. So, you know, that certainly is, you know, groundbreaking in and of itself. I would just like to turn to some reflections. Women in medicine, you know, we are seeing more that the female uh, graduates coming out of medical school, we're crossing the 50% barrier. We're seeing changes in medicine in terms of, you know, the population of female women um, um, physicians, but we're also seeing sort of same old, same old differences in compensation in terms of not being on par. I would just like to get your reflections in terms of how you think about the role of women in medicine, how that has perhaps evolved from when you started out. Like I mentioned, um, or may not have mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, when I started out 40 years ago, I was one of seven women in my class of 32 students. 
And, and that was pretty groundbreaking in and of itself to have that many women. Um, I was the first woman admitted to the A&M College of Medicine, but the, all that means is, is that in the first little pod of five students that were accepted to this brand new medical school, I was the only woman. And, um, and then of course my classmates uh, came along later. Um, but I've, I've always felt that the growth of women um, in medicine and as a result in leadership, I had very few mentors in medical school and in residency, uh, women mentors. There, um, there just weren't that many of them. And um, so my mentors were always the women that were just one step ahead of me. You know, if I was a third year student, my mentor was a first year resident. Uh, if I was a first year resident, my mentor was a second year resident um, who was, you know, just had just been in the steps that I had uh, uh, was now walking through. And so I always thought that this would kind of happen on its own. And um, but here we are 40 years later, even though women comprise over a third of all of the positions um, in practice, um, we're only between around 12 percent of medical school deans uh, and department chairs are women. We're um, pretty good in terms of the lower faculty numbers being commensurate with our you know, percentages in the general population. But um, you know, the, they don't make the same. The parity, pay parity is still a big issue in medicine. Um, women are um, really not taught to negotiate. Um, you know, I think a general personality characteristic is to be a consensus builder and to get along and to be nice and um, not rock the boat and just be glad that you're there. Um, and, and I think it is, I once thought you don't make a big deal about being a woman in medicine, you get along, you assimilate. And now I feel that we need to be incredibly intentional and outspoken about the need for more women leaders, the need for pay parity, uh, and the need to make lifestyle changes for all physicians so that, that they you know, feel comfortable having the complete life that they want to have, whether that includes family or children or taking care of elderly parents or you know, uh, playing the piano at night, whatever, uh, without getting totally burned out in the process. Well, I could not agree with you more. And I have to say that it is so encouraging to hear that um, that energy and passion, particularly, you know, uh, reflecting on what has been an outstanding career of service and medicine. And as you would think about your own Dr. Bailey um, inflection point right now, it's very clear to me that you're not done. It's not over, whether it's a book or government service or something else. I am excited to see what's next as we close out on this Inspiring Women conversation any last words of wisdom and advice for other younger women who are starting out today? Well, um, first of all, I would speak to the, the women that have been around to um, give a hand out to the younger women. Uh, I encourage younger women to, to get involved. It's it is possible to, you know, be involved in uh, medical organizations. Uh, organizations need uh, women's leadership. Uh, they need our participation. Um, they need to understand the whole picture uh, of what it's like to be a physician 
in America in 2022. Uh, and that invariably involves um, juggling family obligations, taking care of elderly parents, um, and, and then other specific issues that women care about, women's health and the like. And don't be afraid to get involved. Don't be afraid to volunteer for the job no one else wants to do. Don't be afraid to give up, get up and give a speech. Um, yes, it'll be scary as all get out the first time, but every time you do it, it gets a little bit easier. And um, because it's gratifying, personally, I think involvement in professional organizations is one of the antidotes to burnout uh, because it gives you a greater sense uh, of purpose and feeling like you're actually getting something done with like-minded colleagues. Well, Dr. Bailey, you've always been such a strong advocate for involvement and not just, you know, leadership by example, but also, um, you know, really suggesting that uh, for others. I really appreciate those um, closing words. We have been on this Inspiring Women episode speaking with Dr. Sue Bailey. And Sue, thank you so much. Thank you, Laurie. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.